This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Welcome to Do Try This at Home. Caleb here, just jumping in before the podcast starts. We recorded season one of this podcast over the last few months before we knew exactly what the show was going to be, or even that it'd be following a, a seasonal format. So things kind of change as the show goes on and also we didn't have any social media accounts when we were recording so if you want to get in contact or if you want to follow us or get any more information about the show follow us on twitter and instagram at do try this pod and we'll have updates on season one and potential future seasons through those accounts right on with the show take it away tom oh, let's do it okay oh, are man. you okay <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you sound very tired. Some films are mediocre, so bad they make you moan. We're here to save the cinema. We do try this at home. Welcome to another episode of Do Try This at Home, the podcast where we do try this at home. <laughs> Uh, no, this the podcast where we take mediocre to very poor films and we sort of riff on how we would make them better films. I'm Caleb and uh, I'm joined Hi, as Caleb. always by, uh, <laughs> as always by um, by the incredibly talented Harrison Gale. That's me. How are you doing, Harrison? Um, I'm hanging in there currently living the government mandated quarantine life because Whoop. now I'm in the same time zone as Caleb. Yeah, boy. How crazy is that? British summertime. And somehow I'm still really tired when we're recording. Go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like 8.45 in the yeah, evening, man. but uh, it's the same time for both of us. Yeah, it's crazy. I, it's, what a... What a time to be alive. Wow. 8.45. <laughs> <laughs> the night is young. <laughs> the night it is. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> How are you doing, Caleb? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. You sound like you're barely keeping it together. <laughs> the thing is, right, my life is ridiculously easy right now, so I should be doing fine. Um, for some reason, I'm very sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, there, here we are. Um, have you been have you been using your quarantine to do lots of film watching? Um, yeah, I mean, somehow not as much as I would like, but yeah, yeah, because I'm still like juggling other work that I have to do during the day. But in the evening, I try to wind down with a with a good film. Except this evening, <laughs> which was a pretty crummy one. Yeah, so in my we. Opinion. We're looking at two. Th- well, so I mean, uh, I, yeah, I'm gonna start all of that again. <laughs> so <laughs> we've we kind of decided over the course of recording these few episodes that we're gonna be moving towards a season format. So mm-hmm. this is, I think, the penultimate episode of this season. Good guy. And uh, and this week, uh, call me Mister Worldwide because we're going international. <laughs> Dale. <laughs> we're we're looking at a French film. We're also doing a musical. Um, th- this this season we've just kind of been trying to cover a lot of different 
genres and then like other seasons we might like go deep dive into a genre or into a specific studio or a specific like person's work or we might do another season of just doing lots of different stuff um so this week we're looking at 2007's love songs or um les chansons d'amour i can't speak french oh thank you that was perfect Uh, it's directed by christophe honore um uh i'm sorry um, (laughs) i'm falling apart (laughs) already i do want to say though that i so i actually actually i think um christophe honore's latest film was the last film I saw in a movie theater before the no COVID way. lockdown. Mm-hmm. I had a, so I, I took a few classes in college during undergrad uh, with Professor Edward Turk, who, if you uh, ever have the privilege of interacting with him, is just the most delightful man, one of my favorite professors ever. Um, and he, uh, you know, spends a lot of time in France and has a very deep connection with. The country and its cinema, um, and I was in uh, one of his one of his courses uh, the fall of my senior year in college called French Queer Cinema, and uh, Les Chansons d'Amour was one of the films that we watched. Um, but during that during that term, uh, well, toward actually no beginning of the next term, uh, they were doing a screening of Christophe Honoré's latest film Chambre Two One Two. Um, starring Chiara Mastroianni, and she was supposed to do like a master class with a couple of like select students that Professor Turk was going to invite, I think, or no, it wasn't Professor Turk, it was another professor. This other pr- professor um, that uh, that we knew um, or had that was uh, close with um, Professor Turk was going to host Chiara Mastroianni, who, for those that don't know, is the daughter of Marcello Mastroianni and Catherine Deneuve. Um, and we were going to get to meet her um, while they were screening, you know, after the screening of this film. But then she couldn't come because she is based in Italy. And at the time, Italy was on, like, mega lockdown. She was mm. like, she sent a video from her apartment that they, like, played before the screening. And she was like, hey, everybody, I'm so sorry I can't make it. You know how it is. <laughs> it was sort of sad. It was very sweet of her to do that. Um, and I actually, I really liked that film. Um, oh, my word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my phone of- just started playing something out loud. <laughs> You're so, you got so bored by my anecdote. You're like, man, better uh, better hit YouTube. <laughs> but anyway, no, no, <laughs> it's uh, all right. It's all right. The people know who you are now. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, thank you again. Shout out to Professor David Gerstner, who was going to host the. Um, Jeff <laughs> for not class. doing a thing you said you were going no, to. No, he wanted to <laughs> and kidding. he he still he still gave um me and the other the other people who came to the other students who came to the screening free tickets that so, screening which was so kind of him. But anyway, what was this film like? The one that so you went to see. The Chambre 2 and 2 was uh I very much enjoyed it and it was mm. it had this flavor of like magical realism. So it's about this woman who is in a, a collapsing marriage um, with her husband, and it seems like they're gonna break up. 
And but her character is sort of like the I mean, I hate to say like, you know, promiscuous has like this tinge to it that I don't like, but it's sort of mm. she's sort of like um the like the feminine version of like the philanderer of like, you know, old Hollywood sort of of like right. this guy that um you know, just is it's easy with the opposite sex, and she just can't seem to uh, be able to feel comfortable settling down. So it's so it's a gender reversal of that trope of like the male gigolo or the male philanderer, mm. um, which was so interesting. Uh, and then she, so they have this breakup, and she sp- decides to spend the night in uh, the apartment across the street from her, or hotel across the street from her. And in this hotel, in in room 212, magical things start to happen. And I don't want to mm. say too much, because part of the, the, the joy is the surprise of it. But it yeah. has like, this really fun, magical realism element to it. And it's really funny and lighthearted. And uh, the whole story takes place in this one hotel room but it oh, it keeps you fun. really engaged and it just it managed to keep it lighthearted but also um like really hit uh the those emotional notes without feeling cheesy and i really, yeah. really liked it so it was for me like love songs or les chansons d'amour is like a total 180 from that you sound the what you're describing is the work of a completely different filmmaker according to my experience of watching love songs i don't mm-hmm. understand so, I mean, let's get into it. So, yeah, love it. songs, uh, Ishmael and Julie, who, in the hope of sparking their stalled relationship after a playful, uh, enter a playful yet emotionally laced threesome with Alice. When tragedy strikes, these young Parisians are forced to deal with the fragility of life and love. For Ishmael, this means uh, negotiating through the advances of Julie's sister and a young college student, one of which may offer him redemption. That's the letterboxed. Synopsis. 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 <laughs> ah, thank you for for coming on, our special guest Sean Connery. <laughs> yes, it's great to have you here. Um, uh, I mean, I think I mean that is what this film is. Um, I think yep. what is interesting about this film, if I can just launch straight into it, please do. I think what's interesting is this idea of a person who is struggling in their relationship and then the person they're in that relationship with dies and then they have to square the fact that they didn't have a perfect relationship when that person died. Mm -hmm. So they can't, you know, often when a tragedy like someone dying happens, that person gets treated as a saint. But this person in their mind can never do that because they know what state their relationship was in when that person died. Mm -hmm. That to me is really interesting. And I, I don't know if I imagine you've seen the big sick. Yes. With, um, Kumar Nanjiani based on his actual Mm -hmm. life. Um, and how he ended up, uh, getting married to his wife. So that story is, you know, he's a stand up comedian. He meets this woman, they fall in love. And then, uh, then they, you know, their relationship begins to break down. And the moment it begins to break down, he goes and sleeps with someone else. And then she goes into a coma, but he's the only one there to take her to the hospital when that happens. And then through the time that she's in a coma, he gets to know her parents and they get on really well. And then by the time she's out the other end, he's fallen back in love with her again. Um, But she's like, you know, doesn't remember. Um, 
imagine that, but actually, like, you know, instead of her going into a coma, she dies, which is very bleak, mm-hmm. but that's really interesting. And yeah. I, I would like to have seen this film, like, really actually dig into what that is. And I didn't think it did. Yeah. So how I don't know if you agree with that being the sort of central thing to bring out of this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's I think it's I think it is a very ambitious film in what it's trying to do, even though I can't figure out what exactly it is that it's trying to do. Um, and I do I do mean that in in a nice way. I don't yeah. mean that as like a backhanded compliment, but I think part of its problem is that it's ambitious but unfocused and so like mm. i think i think your selection of that theme is really strong and i think in a reworked version of this i would focus on that but then it also has all of these other elements that like that are interesting and could mm. possibly foster you know interesting conversations or exploration of those themes of like you know polyamory and mm. um you know uh coping with the grief of a of, of a lost lover through um relationships with other people um but it seems to be like too much at once and then also like the relationship between a person and uh your you know your lover's family if that if the person you loved is removed that's mm. also interesting too but it's like it, all of it together in what is relatively not a long movie is yeah 90 minutes yeah yeah it's it's a bit much to be able to adequately examine all of those themes and not feel like it's just uh, a a muddled uh swill of everything thrown together and mixed in a large jug i think that's absolutely right and i think i guess what i'm getting i think all of these themes would be interesting to deal with but i think what is at the core of this film what is the arc of our central character is this dealing with grief for someone who you weren't on the best terms with when they died and you didn't have an opportunity to reconcile properly with them. And there's hints within the screenplay, within the the structure of the narrative, that that's kind of what the film sort of wants to get at, in that like the opening scene is an argument between them over the phone and then they meet each other in the street and then they reconcile right at the beginning of the film. And then that reconciliation falls apart again as the as we see how complex their relationship is and and it's after that further sort of um untangling of that relationship that she then dies so i think the film is hinting at that it's showing us like oh they go through these cycles of falling out and falling back in love um and and the fact that she died in in a moment where they were out of love that's challenging as well. And I think so, I, yeah, I guess that's why I drew that theme out. But I, I think you're right. There are other interesting things in there. Um, but I just don't think there's enough of them maybe to really hold together any of what this film currently is, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think in a reworked version of this, like the theme that we've established is what I would focus on, I think. And I think that there's also just a, one or two too many characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I I got confused as to who... Well, it's not necessarily that I got confused as to who was who, but I, I kind of... It was more like I got confused as to why I was meant to care about each right. other, if that makes sense. <laughs> that there's, like, too many so that, like, the extra just become 
irrelevant. And then, yeah. And I do, I do think of like screen time as being really precious. So any minute Mm. that we're not spending with our protagonist has to be like a really good reason Mm. or any moment that we're, that we decide to add in extra characters beyond the core people has to have a good reason. And I don't think in the state that, the film is currently and it doesn't justify it enough. Like, I don't yeah. think like I, I, you know, I don't like, do we need Alice who is the third lover that comes yeah. in? Does Julie um, need to have two sisters? Right. Like, like <laughs> cause it felt like neither, they both, one of them didn't really seem to be offering us anything. Right. As, as part of the plot just seemed to be there. Uh, and that confused me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and the convoluted way that we get the introduction of, um, oh, is it like Gwendol or something is his name? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's is that right. his name? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> it's literally Gwendol. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it because it it sounds yeah. like German or something. Yeah, no, because they're they're Bre- they're Bretons, aren't they? That's the whole are part they? of the plot. What? Yeah, yeah. He, him and his brother are Bretons. That's the whole part of the plot. Um, Alice is. How like... did I watch that movie and not <laughs> see that? I've seen it two times. You, yeah, but you know French. Did you put subtitles on or not? Yeah, I put subtitles. Oh, okay, right, no, okay. Because no. I did, and that's how I knew. But I wondered if you'd seen it without, and that maybe. I think I just like both times there's just stretches of this movie where i just glazed over oh fully like yeah i was and i was like because i Uh, I, you know both times i saw it with subtitles like mm. the first time i saw it like in a class of people so i had Mm. to keep myself at least look as if i was paying attention (laughs) to other people and to my professor um but um, I can't believe I missed that just entirely after seeing it two times. There's like a whole thing about Gwendol and his brother, um, Erwin or something. Yep. Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I obviously paid more attention. Yeah, to you're, you're clearly processing the information um, better than I am. <laughs> better than I even realize I am. But they were both Bretons, and that's the whole thing because Alice is like, oh, yeah, I should have known before I got into a relationship with Grendel that he would be like, you know, a bad person or something because he's a Breton. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> she. I'm paraphrasing, random. but that is basically a plot point. Um, and then like in one of the songs, Erwin's singing about how he's a Breton. Um, I don't, I don't really understand that. Maybe that's a French thing. I imagine it is. Um, (laughs) yeah, everybody's got their stereotypes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So yeah, we've got this main theme. So obviously this film is a musical and, uh, about, Five minutes in, when the first song happened, I messaged you saying I was fuming because I didn't know this was going to be a musical going in, and the film gave me no indication that it was going to become a musical. <laughs> um, do we do we want it to remain a musical? And it, if so, how do we make that form more part of the storytelling? I mean, I my first instinct is to say cut it because yeah. I'm I'm sure like. I mean, the way that it's functioning now is that it just feels like a gimmick. And I don't know if it necessarily, like, works with... If we decide, like, we're going to focus on the core theme that we've discussed, like, I don't know if 
it is really compatible with that kind of theme. But then at the yeah. same time, there have been quite a few Dour. dramatic musicals. Yeah, they they yeah. exist, but I think if if you decide to keep it a musical, and let's say let's say we do just to stay as close in line with the director's initial vision as we can while still making the film better then mm. you just i think you just need it, it's, it's not that the music was bad but i don't think like i think that musicals um you know to me the song is supposed to be like an expression of something that to the character feels so great that they can't mm. they can't express it through just talking anymore they have to sing it yeah and it yeah. didn't feel like the to me it didn't feel like the the music was being written to serve not just the narrative but the emotional state of the or expression of the characters it felt like they yeah. were just like they were just like like uh cute and sad french songs <laughs> But they didn't feel like they were really expressing what anybody really felt. Yeah, and and the fact that they would just come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. like what you're saying is like the point of, you know, the point of the music in a musical, and, and Mark Kermode talks about this. He talks about the musical being the ultimate sort of endpoint or like expression in film, but that's what film is aiming at because. It is where we push beyond the boundaries of reality in order to express our emotions. And it, it, what, in, what interests me is that, um, you, like you mentioned up top, Christophe Honoré's like his next, uh, well, not his next film, his later film, the one that you saw in the cinema, uh, it, it, it relies on magical realism. And that is what is kind of fundamental to, or, or at least the way I see it, to making a, a musical work is a sense of magical realism and you have to build scenes so that the point the music comes in is a breaking point where either we push into a moment of expression or we turn away from it. Where this falls apart is that we don't reach a breaking point before the music comes in. It's just the scene happens and then a song happens. And Mm -hmm. that makes it hard to, to imagine any of this music as any kind of actual expression of emotion by any of these characters. Um, and I think as well, you know, as well, the songs, it's not, like you said, it's not like they're bad songs, but they're not distinct. There's no character to them. I couldn't characterize what kind of music this film is getting at. And that is also, I I thought was quite damaging. I I think, I mean, we could hold on to it, but I, I think we could just cut it. And I think, and I would say it would be stronger for cutting it because, um, like you say, unless we're using it to to its uh, fullest potential, then there is really no point having it there. It, I feel like the way that the scenes are structured, you couldn't make it build towards music. Um, right. You know, in a way that, like, I think about, you know, it's a poor example because I don't really like it, but The Greatest Showman as a recent, very successful movie musical, mm-hmm. um, the way part of the reason I don't like The Greatest Showman is because it uses the formula of the musical too much. So every scene, the whole point of the scene is to get to the song to tell you the next bit of the story. And so it's every single scene, you as an audience member know exactly when the song's going to come because there is such an anticipation for it. 
and that's familiar and that's part of the reason I think that film was so successful Successful is because you sit there and you go oh yeah like I know exactly when this song's going to come in and it's going to be this and I'm going to feel this way um, mm. this film I don't think has the, the ability to do that in the way that these scenes are structured and I think it, it would benefit it to just scrap that and not need to reach a climax in every scene because it's not yeah. necessary and, and actually instead it would benefit what is kind of a slightly meandering story to take that away from it. Yeah. I mean, I also wonder if perhaps like there's an alternative of like maybe making music more a distinct part of these people's lives. And maybe it's Mm. like, you know, maybe the songs don't happen as frequently, but you know, when they do show up, you know, it just packs that much more of a punch because they're not happening all the time. Sort of in the way that like, Disney La La movies, La they're not, yeah, like La La Land or like, or even like, you know, Disney animated films that have music in them. Yeah. They are not, they, you know, the, the films don't have as many songs as a, as a full musical. Often they have to write new music when they're being adapted from the animated film to the stage because the films yeah. don't have as many songs in them. Maybe they, you know, at most they have like, you know, four or five. Um, yeah. So then, when the songs do show up, they, you know, they're they're serving a specific purpose, and you know, they are, a lot of work has been put into them so that these songs like leave a lasting yeah. impact. And you know, I think that's part of why so many of the songs from the films that are original to the films um, have become such hits and have this lasting legacy. So I wonder if, yeah. like, maybe the film had taken that approach also because it's only. Um, you know, an hour and a half and most musicals will run, you know, with, uh, with an intermission, you know, Mm. sometimes like two hours and a half, even, even three hours. So if you have three hours, like, sure, you can pack it full of like 20 songs because that's Mm. the runtime and that's what the expectation is. And, you know, you're more willing to like sit through a three hour thing with a 15 minute break in the middle because it's this, you know, big spectacle or you're going to the theater, but to, to sit in a cinema or to, you know, be sitting at home watching this film for an hour and a half and then just having a song happening because it's time for a song to happen without any like real motivation or thought behind what, well, I'm sure there was a thought being what what the song was trying to say, but it doesn't it, it the way that it's currently written doesn't feel quite integrated. So I wonder. I'm even thinking yeah. of like you know once the the original film um, yeah. that also was adapted into a musical, but it's mm. it's about these two people that that music is such a like deeply ingrained part of their lives. Yeah, you know, that that yeah. this one man is 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 a busker and the other is this you know, like, you know, she plays piano and, and, Mm. you know, they learn songs from each other. And so I wonder if like, you know, it feels like kind of a missed opportunity that, um, Ishmael's job is just like, he's just like a desk job (laughs) or or like any of them. The interesting thing is, is actually what I noticed is that it's kind of implied that Ishmael, I think he's a journalist of some kind because mm. he's working on like a copyright for like an article um, at one moment in the film. And I, and I thought, I get like, I think um, like you say, making music more important in their lives will make him a music journalist right. center his writing around music. He works for some kind of Parisian music magazine, local music, that kind of thing. And so like when they go to the gig, which is when, when that's when Julie dies is, right. is 
at the gig that mm-hmm. you know maybe he's there for work or maybe he's there because he knows that band through work or whatever uh, you don't have to like spell it out but like sure. we see that like this is just part of his life he goes to these gigs he's part of the music scene in Paris because he writes about it and that's his job and so you build the scenarios in in the film into the story mm-hmm. and, and that's far more interesting I mean obviously you know a gig is not like out there like you know young right. people go to gigs like it makes sense like you don't watch it and go why are they going to a gig but uh-huh. also like it would be that much more affecting if there was a reason for them to be even a part of there being music in this film like you say I'm agreeing with you but I'm just giving an example but yeah I, right. I think you know we talk, we talked a lot on the Something Borrowed episode about how an occupation can say a lot about a person as a character and and the the value of that. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, make it a part of who they are as people, but also, you know, if he was involved in music journalism, then that helps as well. And maybe Julie can be involved in music in a different way as part of her work, as well as just being interested in it as a a person as well. Right. Because I find it's always so hard in the whole show don't tell thing to be like, oh we both really love music without them just saying oh man we both really love music you know what i mean i sure do love music (laughs) how do you show that because everyone loves music that's not that's not a personality trait but i mean some people try to make it one (laughs) exactly yeah but But no so but but make it a personality trait in that like they love music so much they made it their job in some way Uh they don't have to be musicians but another way right yeah it's it like you know and it it should be significant as to where like these huge events of the narrative mm. are taking place and how they happen, you know, like it, like, shouldn't it be significant that like Julie dies, like as they're trying to leave this gig, like, and it just, be, I mean, I guess like, you know, you could argue like, Oh, well, you know, that's the nature of tragedy that it can feel so random. But then, if that's the case, then that has to be the theme of the story. And you yeah. have to do, you have to reach, you have to structure your narrative so that that theme becomes clear in the yeah. way that it currently is. It just feels like, Oh, that's an afterthought or like, Oh, well we need to get through this inciting incident. So mm. or we need to get through this, like, you know, turning point because it's, yeah. it, it feels like an inciting incident, but it happens at the end of the first 40 act. minutes. 40 yeah. minutes in. No, I agree. Well, so this is a, a thing that I would do is is I would bring the inciting incident far earlier into the film. Mm-hmm. But then if we're keeping the music and the musical aspect of it, there's one scene where he sings a song and he's sort of visited by like a vision of Julie, right? Um, during the song. Is that what happens or did I get confused? I, I think, I mean, with this movie, I never am really sure what's happening. <laughs> okay. I think I'm late on, like, is... I think late on there is a song and he's yeah. like walking down the street singing and he's real sad, you know, as he is. Um, yeah. and, and then Julie is like there and starts singing back to him. I would make the inciting incident of her death way earlier on, but then make her returning in his mind a much heavier you know, featured much heavier throughout the, the rest of the film. Right. Um, Cause that, that is a visual expression of his grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if like her returning can be 
them being in love again, but then also them arguing again. And we see Mm -hmm. that cycle happen in life and death as he struggles with what their relationship was. I think, I mean, I think it's safe to say if she hadn't died, their relationship probably would have ended. And at some point they both probably would have gotten over each other. Mm -hmm. And actually it becomes challenging for Ishmael to even begin to do that because she died. And, Mm -hmm. and so there's a, and this is, you know, and again, like, you don't have to spell it out in the film, but like this begins to touch on our societal understanding of death and like the respect we hold for the dead. And why is it that we have to hold someone up as a saint when we know they weren't? Or why is it that we have to remember the good times if there were lots of bad times, you know, which that's kind of a cliche, but it's, you know, I think it's interesting to understand that concept of, of grief and that right. grieving is more than just going, oh, wasn't this person a great person or didn't they have a good life? Um, and I think you could do that by getting her death in early and then really giving time to explore that through the physical, like, you know, her coming back to him in, in visions. And then that right. brings in this kind of magical realism that I think lends itself to the musical format. Um, and I think in some ways lends itself to this kind of like, the aesthetic that's being built in this film as well. This is a very, Mm -hmm. it's full of like these blue tones. There's like lots of like rain and it's very like sort of gray and like toned down. And I think, but then um, when she returns, that blue tone is brighter, is whiter and there's like a purity to it. Mm -hmm. And we see her in this almost angelic form, like celestial visual and i think so i think it would lend itself to that as well that aesthetic like we've got this kind of like toned down very blue like paris like very melancholic and then to like bring to show how the melancholy can also seem angelic is interesting because again it it feeds into that idea of like why do we grieve people in the way that we do Mm -hmm. and i think that would be interesting to to make the most of that as well right and and i think like Yeah, leaning more into that is also reaching back to um, Jacques Demy, who is very clearly referenced in in this film. And and this film is so clearly very deeply influenced by, because his thing was all of this, not necessarily like, well, you know, I think to a degree that, that aesthetic of, of magical realism and bringing music into real life. And if you've ever seen The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, um, there's a very clear uh, contrast between the tragic drama of of that film's narrative and these mm. bright colors and the beautiful um, operatic music that these people are singing and the way that they're expressing th- their grief about this you know the tragedy that they're experiencing through really beautiful songs could you Um, say more about how this is trying to pay homage to that because i i don't know that film and i imagine a lot of listeners don't uh i I, and i'm interested to like i've read a little bit about how they're connected but i'd be interested Mm -hmm. to hear like what you had to say about how this is paying homage to that and like that connection between the two of them yeah well so I think most clearly I would say in sort of their structure uh, or like the way that, you know, that, that, that there's this, that there's this 
heavy drama that's happening in the narrative. Um, mm. But the music is written as, you know, these, you know, be- we're, we're supposed to not necessarily like upbeat, but really beautiful songs that are pleasing to the ear. And that's that functions as as a contrast to this this really sad drama and tragedy that's yeah. that's playing out in the narrative. So I don't want to spoil the Ambrose of Cherbourg because I hope our listeners do go and watch it because it is a really beautiful and lovely film. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I, uh, I do want to note, though, it's 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 entirely sung through the dialogue. So it is oh, cool. probably like, you know, uh, one of the closest examples that I've seen, aside from like musicals from the stage that have been adapted to film, like yeah. an, like an original film opera, really. Yeah. Because it's yeah. it's it's all sung through but all of this music and this narrative was written for the screen um that's so interesting so and and uh so much of the production design is is specifically done the way it is to create sort of like this this fantasy world that almost like it's like this fantasy um uh aesthetic of bright colors and and Mm. color blocking and uh, it almost feels like you know, like you're moving through this uh, beautiful, like playground version of life. But the narrative is still very grounded in in real tragedy. Um, yeah. So it feels like, in some ways, this film is reaching toward that, and in, in the sense that, like, the production design is very clearly trying to curate something, as you were saying, mm. like you know, these, like that. It's this version of Paris that is you know, uh, covered in these blue tones and is made to look very melancholic, but then, you know, it's contrasted with like this, like angelic and celestial version of it that Julie inhabits. Um, and so, you know, there, it's not like, it's not trying, like, I don't think Les Chansons d'Amour is trying to create the same aesthetic that yeah, Dr. Me yeah. creates in Umbrellas of Cherbourg and a lot of his other films because, you know, bright colors and, and fantasy are, are big things in his work. Um, but I think, you know, there is a connection here to trying to create a, a visual aesthetic through production design and contrasting it with the musical content that's being um, woven through the film. Um, yeah, yeah. But but I think uh, I mean, and I guess this also has to do with the fact that the you know the dialogue is sung through, so the music has to have something to do with the narrative, otherwise the film won't make any sense. Um, yeah. I think the um, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg is able to then you know through that form integrate the music um, much more easily than this than this film is. Um, yeah. And also, there's just sort of like you know the uh, coincidental connection that um, Chiara Mastroianni is in Les Chansons yeah. de and she's the daughter of Catherine Deneuve, who's the lead yeah. in Amores of Cherbourg. But yeah, um, I was you know, that's reading about that, and it, well, this thing on Wikipedia it was like, and and there's the obvious homage of this casting, and I'm like, that doesn't, <laughs> I feel like that's that's just happened. So like. obviously <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Um, of course yeah no and that's really interesting and i think um yeah and and i think that's what this film could should be learning is Mm -hmm. is it's this whole thing um 
you know, I heard Mark Hamode was no, it wasn't him. It was someone else. A, a film reviewer. I was listening to them talking about a film recently that uh, was no, it was Mark Hamode <laughs> was talking about a film that paid homage to Hitchcock, and he said you should never pay homage to Hitchcock unless you're going to do as good, if not a better job which you're not going to do a better job, so you need to do it at least as good. And I think that is a sort of general rule for paying homage to anyone in their filmmaking, is you've got to be doing at least as good a job. And if what you're really wanting to do is like capture that magical realism and that same structure, if I'm not wrong, uh, is each part named the same thing? Yeah. So like... You're obviously he has an an interest in that structure and that understanding and narrative through that structure, um, but but uh, yeah, I think it just doesn't hold together. And like you know, like you said, all the way up top, like it 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 was unfocused. And I think actually, you've given yourself this like clear three act structure that allows you focus. In fact, I yeah, maybe this is a good point to actually use those titles and work our way through the three-act structure with all the stuff that we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first part is the departure, which is obviously the build-up to Julie's death and then her death happening. Um, like you say, in this, it takes 40 minutes. I think it needs to take far less time. And I think we need, but I think also we need to see more of their relationship, <laughs> if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I yeah. I don't see why this film shouldn't use montage at the beginning to show us that. Sure. And I think uh, again like, you know, leaning into the cinematic medium, like yeah. that that's what the visu- that visual medium is there for so that you can yeah. do things like that and that you can communicate things like the quality of a romantic relationship between two people in a short amount of time because that's a yeah. tool that you have. And even sort of like, you know, leaning into the fact that it is a it's a it's gonna be a movie that's also a musical like you have this visual yeah. thing and then you also have a very like oral thing like why not play around with that in like you know yeah in like montage form or something yeah. that communicates to us you know very quickly but also very clearly the the quality of the relationship between these two people for sure like give us and I think that's what this opening number was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opening number was just like, basically, it was like him trying to come up with all the reasons, Ishmael trying to come up with all the reasons he loved Julie. Um, but like some of them were just like, is it like your nice bum and things like that? <laughs> I don't, they were obviously poor translations, but I was just like, ugh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. French, French truly is the language of love. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful. Uh, man. Um, man, like, and I was just like, <laughs> this doesn't really actually tell me anything about your relationship because you're just picking out, like, cosmetic things about her and going, right. is this why I'm in love with you? Which maybe does tell us something about your relationship, but it doesn't, It in this, it doesn't actually communicate it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think instead, using a similar number, but using it as a montage over a long period of time, and maybe it is, because I think then the the song like immediately reprises in a slightly different way, and she, it's her coming up with the reason she loves him. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Why not have this montage opening number that is them saying the reasons they love each other, but the reasons 
go from these grand romantic ideas of love to these purely just like cosmetic, habitual, domestic reasons for loving each other. And we see that over the course of three minutes, over the course of a song. And, and we see months of their relationship. And so we see where they were and then where they've got to now and why their relationship is in a rocky place at the beginning of this film. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a great rework of the opening number. And, and also it's, it's kind of, it's both playful and a little subversive in a way because like you, when somebody writes a love song, usually it's supposed to be like, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a declaration of love, but usually you come away from it thinking like, man, that person sure does like that person that they're singing about. <laughs> but the fact that it like, and I know that's like a silly way to explain it, but that that is generally how they function. And yeah. then yet here you would have a song that starts out that way. And then by the end, it's really just like, you know, a tacit admission of the fact that these people are like either they're falling out of love with each other or they're getting really bored with each other yeah. or that something's not working. And that, you know, this song that they're singing, you know, even though like the lyrics may be expressing love on, on the surface level is actually, yeah. you know, revealing what a rocky place that they're in and that maybe they're not, they don't necessarily believe the things that they're saying and that's what the visual yeah. part is for that there's this juxtaposition between the thing that you're singing and what the audience is actually seeing you know either yeah. through their behavior or you know other images um in you know in juxtaposition with each other and that's that's what irony is <laughs> and mm. um you know and i think that's, that's irony that's, folks <laughs> that's irony folks and that i think would add like you know an, another another texture to yeah to the narrative i think here. i think that's and i think that's exactly it is this film feels textureless mm -hmm. in a way it feels like everything is operating on this kind of surface level and so although there's these sort of complex back and forth of different relationships and I, I never feel like any of them go beyond just what we immediately see in front of us mm -hmm. which is yeah frustrating okay so yeah we kind of got this opening number and I think that, that you're yeah it does that and I think it it, it brings an immediate texture to that relationship as well that makes it feel like not only that they're three-dimensional characters, but that their relationship has more than just literally a single dimension, which mm -hmm. is that they're in a relationship. Do we want to hold on to this sort of polyamorous three-way relationship thing or not? I mean, I, I think it's just too much for, for yeah. this, this story. And I'm, you know, I'm not against telling stories or, or narratives about you know that kind of relationship like that's fine I just don't think it I don't think that this film has room for it and it, yeah you know it feels like you know like Alice could function as sort of like the the straw that breaks the camel's back for them that sort of like reveals all of the problems they really have but she's mm. sort of presented as almost like a Band-Aid solution for their problems, which I don't yeah, know if that yeah. necessarily would be the case if these two people are already falling apart in the first place. No, I, I agree. And I, I think in some ways... So what's interesting is, and from that plot summary from Letterboxd, is there's like this suggestion that um, 
Julie's sister has an interest in Ishmael after she's dead. Is that, or did I read that wrong? I I think, I mean, that seems to be what the the letterbox synopsis implies. <laughs> Although I I did not see that in the film. Did it? Yeah. I okay. I thought was that like another thing I just blanked, no, like blacked well, out but on. But I think like, maybe because she keeps like just coming to his apartment, like it right, like a, a, a like immediately in the morning when he's obviously still in bed and she knows he's still going to be in bed mm-hmm. and it's. I don't know whether I'm missing subtext or whether I'm reading into something that's not there, but but I I wonder about that role that Alice plays because I think what she's good and you know what her role is good as is a kind of um like a a second romantic I don't know if foil's the right word for Ishmael. And mm-hmm. so because they work together and there's the, the scene where they're like in the office singing together. Right. And, um, and you see that he wants what he thought was like a sexual desire for her is actually like him seeking comfort from her. Mm-hmm. And it was, and you, the kind of the implication is when she was in the relationship with them, he was also seeking comfort from her then. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I kind of wondered whether we roll some of that idea into uh, um, Julie's sister and and not that that you know there was a three-way relationship with the sister as well but that like after her death he seeks comfort in her but she, they don't really know what that means as a relationship between the two of them if that makes sense yeah um I'm not yeah. sure if that does make sense <laughs> no no I think I think it does but you're saying so so you leave Allison or cut her so you cut Alice, but right. her place as a place that he turns for comfort after Julie's death is the sister, but you roll in some of that. Maybe he works with Julie's sister as well. Yeah. And there's there an immediate connection there. And maybe there's been like a hint at some romantic, you know, something between them before or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there'd be something interesting to explore there that is using some of what Alice is in this film already, but just rolling it into Julie's sister and and bringing those two things together. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a good call. And then also, you know, you've got sort of like, I guess, the the sub-theme of, you know, how a person's relationship changes with the family of their lover when the lover is somehow removed whether that's through death or the breakup and that yeah and i think that is really interesting and you know then there's julie's mother who is also um no it isn't i'm thinking of a different film that has similar themes we watched a lot of movies like this in my day i think of a different film that has more themes <laughs> no, literally, we literally watched a movie like this, and I can't remember what it's called. But when I do, hopefully, I can remember it while we're recording. So, okay. oh, no, it, it is it. Now, see, here's the problem with too many characters. Okay. Now I can't tell when it's Julie's mother or if it's Jean or when they're talking. Julie's Wait, Julie's mother. That? If you're confused, Julie's mother. So. She, is- she finds out about the three-way before Julie dies. And then later in the film, she invites Alice to meet her at a cafe to understand more about her daughter before she died. Yes. Is that what you were thinking about? <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking about. Oh, all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I and then I, I, for a second, I was like, but was that 
was that Jean? And now, I, and then I, <laughs> then I just started second guessing. No, everything. I think what's confusing is because in that scene, it's just like her mom, just her mom, sat there, and then she meets Alice, and they have like a coffee or whatever, and they talk about Julie, and then at the end of the scene. Out of nowhere, just Julie's other sister is also there. Ah, yeah. But we're not <laughs> showing her a mental earlier right in the now. scene. <laughs> she just arrives and then <laughs> and then Julie's mom's like, are we going? And she's like, yeah, let's go. And that was yeah, just it. Yeah. And I was like, what are you? Yeah, that, um, that scene had the same energy as, I don't know if you've ever seen The Room. Um, no, I still haven't. Tommy Wiseau's magnum opus. But yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a part in that <laughs> film where um like a a character shows up like he's never been introduced before no oh, one has yeah. even like said his name before and all of a sudden he becomes like like a close friend of the main characters and <laughs> nobody has any idea like where he came from he's had no introduction <laughs> and apparently that was like he was just inserted because the actor who was supposed to like read those lines in the scenes like like his i don't know like he he had to work on another project i don't know what that was clearly that didn't go very well either because he i've never seen him again in anything so then they just brought in another actor to read those yeah, lines in the and then scenes, just change the name yeah didn't explain it and that had the same <laughs> energy to me that scene where the yeah. other sister just shows up only to say it's time to go yeah and then they yeah. leave no, it's exactly that. And every time that other sister is in the film, it's just like, oh, what are you doing? Who who are you? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I, There's I, too many members of Julie's family, and now I, I can't figure out who they are. Well, yeah. If In some ways, the way we can explore that theme of family can just be through the parents and one other sister. And this other sister has a, an even more central role. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be... Uh, what's her name, Jean or whatever. And so, yeah, so that, that would be, she would have a more central role because sort of some of what Alice's character is, is doing. And again, like what, like what, like you're saying, like what's the point in having these characters if they literally serve like a single purpose and then they're gone? Like mm-hmm. give them more, like rather have a small cast, but every character has multiple like, you know, parts to the way that they interact with the main character in the story rather than literally being like, Oh, this person acts as this for the main character or that mm. for the main character. Um, but then, yeah, I, I would be tempted to include Julie's parents as well. And I think if we're getting through the first act quicker, the absence, which is the second act right, could focus less on like Ishmael, like going through like, I don't know, this whole Gwendol thing confuses me um because it's just like he's just some bloke that alice goes up to at a gig and then suddenly he's like a, a key part of their whole life like, right which i don't know i guess maybe that's how life works a bit but it was just felt very random but actually maybe more of the absence can be about ishmael refusing to engage with julie's family after her death because that's kind of implied. Like he doesn't want to see them. He he feels uncomfortable with like Jean always being at his impart- apartment. So he always feels the need to leave and stuff. And I think actually, why not make the absences obviously Julie's absence, but also Ishmael's absence from their family. He doesn't want right. to be a part of their family after her death. Mm-hmm. Which means that then when you get to the third act, which is the return, 
<clears throat> you can have him return to that family and have mm-hmm. a reconciliation, a posthumous reconciliation with Julie through his relationship with her family. Yeah, and I, I think that it, it. I think that version of it makes those like the names of each act like really mean something in the yeah. narrative because right now it just feels like it, it it feels like a very surface level kind of nod to the umbrellas of Cherbourg but it doesn't yeah. feel like it, it doesn't feel like those words have taken on a new meaning in this new context it just feels like eh, let's let's throw them on there so people who've seen yeah. that movie can be like oh neat you know like but I think you know deciding okay well you know let's identify the parts of the narrative that each of these words is going to mean and what they're going to signify in this context like i think makes it feel stronger and have more resonance especially yeah. in a film that you know starts out not really having a lot of narrative focus i think um yeah and i even wonder like you know one thing I did want to point out that I think definitely needs to be reworked, and I think this can be a, a, a point where we can start to figure out how we want to rework that. Um, yeah. Erwan, um, like, yeah. why is why is Ismail, like, fooling around with, like, who, this person who feels like a teenager? Like, yeah, I think the point really is he's, weird. like, he's either, like, 18 or, like, because it, it talks about like him going to school, but I think it's like college. So I think it is like he's at university in Paris, but it does feel kind of like he's like a teenager and, and it, there definitely feels like a big gap in age between Ishmael and Owen. And I'm like, mm. I just don't, yeah, I don't really understand. And I, and, and, the, and I think the whole point of the ending, it feels to an extent is that like, him finding Erwan is like a kind of is a saving grace for him. Right. And it and it kind of pulls him out of this grief. But which is like, you know, I get I kind of get what it's trying to get at. And it's like, you know, there's but it it also kind of just feels like <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just so <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it. It's a, I just I what is it saying if it's saying the way to overcome the grief of losing someone is to just find a new relationship to be in? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a kind of a crummy thing to say. <laughs> like, yeah. It, so, yeah, it's almost like, oh, you get over Julie because you have a new person. And I don't know how much I vibe with that. Well, and I think I wonder if part of what it's getting at is that, like, you know, the, the fact that, like, Jean is like so surprised that like Ishmael would be with a man and like there's that that's kind of like a very minus subplot at one point mm-hmm. in the film and Ishmael's like quite upset about that obviously yes and I think I wonder if maybe part of it is like you know it's a push against like bigotry and it's like a you know the fact that like Owen can be like such a positive part of Ishmael's life is saying like you know actually this homosexual relationship is what you know is what Mm-hmm. helped Ishmael is is what he needs but I think at the core of that the lesson is find a new relationship and you get over the dead person that you were in a relationship yeah. with, which I don't feel good about as a message I don't think that that is a good I, I don't like that as a as a sort of uh conclusion to a story um 
so yeah, I think instead him finding, I don't know, maybe you can still include like this new relationship he finds, but actually him finding the reconciliation in Julie's family and in mm-hmm. talking with them, even if it's not like we're going to be best pals forever at the end, but it's right. just like, oh, like we talked, we like worked out this grief together and mm-hmm. that feels like a better you know, message to come away with at the end of the film. Yeah, I definitely think that like that Ishmael's reconciliation and working through his grief with Julie's family should be the core of of the narrative. Um, Yeah. You know, because I think like balancing that with like, you know, how do you, how do you cope with the person that, you know, you, whose relationship you know, the relationship that you had with them is crumbling and then they die. And so you don't have mm. the the closure with them. Like, how do you work through that? And, you know, then yeah. the film sort of examining what, then how do, maybe you can work through that with the other people that they left behind. I think, I think that really focuses the narrative, but I think you mm. also can have the subplot of, you know, also being able to say like, not, it's not necessarily that, you know, another person is like, you know, falling in love with someone else is all you need to recover from your grief, but rather the sense that it's possible to love that way again yeah. and to heal. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a more like, I think that's a healthier um, thing to come away from it with. Yeah. And I think it's possible to communicate that with like just reworking like where Erwan appears and how he appears. I mean, even like yeah. even if you made like you know, it's sort of like you know maybe Erwan is the one. Like he meets Ishmael meets Erwan like at the gig, and then over time, like you know, Erwan becomes like more of an important person to him. I don't know if necessarily yeah. like this element of like youthful like over eager clinginess is necessary either. I I didn't like that. I thought the whole like stalking him thing and that being a part of his, you know, him showing his affection for it. I just thought it was like, what is this man? (laughs) You know, maybe even he doesn't meet one at the gig that Julie dies at, but if we're making music a more important part, a more important part of Ishmael's life, he meets him at another gig. He has to go mm-hmm. to this other gig after Julie's dead or whatever for work and he doesn't want to go and that's where he meets her one. And that right. can be a whole part of the narrative there. I And I agree. I think I think actually, yeah, this message of like you can't, you know, like that you can move past these things that like that they it'll always hurt and it'll always be painful but there is life after that, you know, mm-hmm. things go on. And I think that's a good story to have. And I think, yeah, and, and you know, the way the film currently ends, if unless I completely like did not understand the ending, is like Alice finds Ishmael just drunk and then takes him to Irwin's and then just leaves him there. That's the end of the film. Yeah. Like, that's just not... <laughs> I mean, yep. okay, if you're doing this, if you're framing this as a tragedy, then maybe, but like there's nothing else really to show like a tragic downfall of like um, Ishmael, right. you know, which if, if, if that's what you want to do, okay, we like, we could do that. I think it's pretty late in the game of this podcast to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start again. We're going again. No, yeah. I, I am. I, but I think there is, but then maybe there is something in that ending of 
he can reconcile with the family. He can work through this grief, but he's still, you know, but there is still comfort in having someone and that like he's, he can move past these things, but that person, you know, in some ways as well, like, I don't think it's necessarily negative to show like actually that person, Erwan, like would have to take on some of that burden as well whilst they're working through those things. And I think that that's a fair thing to to portray on screen as well. And I don't think it would be trying to add too much to this. I think in some ways what we've done is we've boiled this down to two pretty uh, simple arcs Mm -hmm. that our main character is going through, which is after Julie's death, working towards reconciliation with the family and using that as a means to reconcile with Julie posthumously. And then learning that you can move past grief and you can get beyond these things through the development of a new relationship. As in like, you don't do it through the development of a new relationship, but you can show his moving on through that. Um, And I think that that simplifies things and it would allow us to spend more time on these things to actually fully explore them in a way that feels real. I think at the moment it all feels like just feels like such melodrama, which is good because I, I actually part of what I wanted to cover on this was <laughs> melodrama and, and and like how you can do that in a good way. And part right. of that is is making it feel as real as possible. The tropes, this feels like it has the tropes of melodrama without actually feeling like any of it's happening in the real world. And I think mm-hmm. part of that is show us Ishmael having a real job. Show us Erwan having a real job as well. Show yeah. us, um, you know, like... That just makes more sense. Show us, like, you know, we see like two streets of Paris and then a couple of apartments. That's it. Show us a bit more of Paris. Show us mm-hmm. how these people occupy that space. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to see as well because it clearly is, it, the production design is clearly interested in Paris as a city of melancholy right? Uh, as well as a city of love. Well, I want to see that. <laughs> I, yeah in in the city i want to how is that part of like this city's dna um and then i'd like to see a bit more of like how julie's parents grieve before Mm -hmm. and after they reconcile with ishmael because that seems interesting to me as well right because we see see little yeah just like very small snippets yeah it's very but i like we can explore that and and we can either take time away from Ishmael entirely to do that, or we can do it through the way that Ishmael builds that relationship with them after Julie's death. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it, like we see so little of, of him with Julie and, you know, very tangentially yeah. her family. And, you know, I wonder, like, I mean, because you you can tell two very different stories. Like, you know, is is he the kind of, like, you know, uh, would-be son-in-law that the in-laws can't stand or that he gets on their nerves? Or is he, like, you know, the would-be son-in-law who's, like, the son they never had? And then this tragedy happens and all of a sudden he's... You know, or maybe not all of a sudden, but or, or gradually, but at some point he begins to be, you know, withdraw himself from their lives. And how does that feel yeah. for them after having, you know, Ishmael in their lives as this yeah. person who's become like one of the family who now all of a sudden can't can't stand the grief that he feels when he's, you know, in the vicinity of or you know with 
with uh, yeah. her family. Um, so you can tell I think that, yeah. two different That latter one is definitely there, but, it. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, yeah, that latter one is definitely it because it, it you know, that, that first, you know, when we see them at breakfast on that day and he's doing all these, like, funny, like, gags. He's, mm-hmm. like, doing the, like, I, I enjoyed that and I thought it was kind of fun. It was a little bit cringe at moments, but I thought it worked. Yeah. And it showed, <laughs> it showed what Ishmael's relationship to them was and it was this thing of, oh, he's just, like, such a laugh and the family are, like, well up for him being a laugh. Oh man! Yep. <laughs> wow. What a terrible way of putting all of that. You know, like it—it it, it showed that he was willing to engage with them as a family, and that they were excited to have him in their presence as well. Yeah. And the reason it didn't work is because the only time we see it is when uh, Julie's really annoyed at him. So we, and so I mm-hmm. like why not show us in that montage early on, or maybe in a scene early on before they fully get into a fight. Uh, a scene of him being at breakfast or lunch or whatever with the family and also being in love with Julie mm-hmm. and then show it again with him being re- with the family and not being in love with Julie and then have a long absence where he can't go back to lunch or, you know, he can't go back to seeing the family. He mm-hmm. can't share a meal with them because of the painful memories. And then at the end, he can share a meal with them. Maybe even he brings Erwan along. I don't know. Maybe that's too weird. I don't. I don't really. I, I don't have an opinion on that. I don't know. Um, but I. I think yeah. There's an opportunity there to make more of that relationship, like outside of you know, it just being a way of Ishmael getting over Julie's death. But actually, like you know, show us what how Ishmael relates to them and show us that he yeah he could have been this son-in-law that they really loved and that how do they you know how do they get to a place of like accept uh, you know what position can they accept him in if it's not son-in-law after Julie's Mm -hmm. death if that makes sense right because that's weird that's so weird yeah, and it's something but like that interesting. Happens, yeah, it's something that happens too with just like regular breakups. Like you know, yeah, you, you get really tight with your significant other's family, and then you break up, and then like, what does that relationship that you had with that family become? And oftentimes, yeah. it just becomes, you know, it dissipates into nothing because it's like you know, it, like it's probably kind of weird to be like hanging yeah. out with your ex's mom or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like how, but very how occasionally that, that can with, yeah, turn into so, an actual friendship, you yeah. know, and that can be a really positive. Yeah. And sometimes it does work yeah. out and you, you, yeah. you can maintain those, those relationships and friendships. And so it, it is kind of, I think it's an interesting dramatic question of, well, how, how are those relationships affected when it's, it's not just a breakup, but you know, the yeah. person the that connected that you died. Yeah. And, and in some ways it makes it easier, but in some ways, you know, like we talked about, with how how do we reflect on who Julie was? In mm-hmm. some ways, it makes it harder as well, and I think that that's really interesting and and feels like again like so often when we're talking on this podcast, it's like stuff like this. I'm like, surely exploring this is like such a no brainer. Like, surely just getting into it. <laughs> surely, and I, you know, in some ways, I get it because like there's clear like you were saying like there's clearly other things that um, what's his face who made this. Um, that, <laughs> I have you know man. what's his you know. face <laughs> um there's clearly you know it, it is ambitious there's clearly other things that he wanted to explore mm-hmm. and to understand and you know that's difficult and uh 
but it also just didn't come off at all. And I think actually focusing it and and saying what are the things that are really important about this story that really define what what this story is and who these characters are and and what their journey is through it as well right. uh, is is really important. And I think that this does it. I think that this makes that mm-hmm. so clear. And I think that's good. Good work. We did <laughs> I'll it. say it. I think it's good. <laughs> you did it again. By <laughs> um, uh, George, yeah. you've done it again. Do you have any other thoughts? Anything else about this film you wanted to say? Or? Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like with some more focused music it could have been could have been something but i do like i do like the changes we've made dramatically and i i i do give a lot of credit to christophe honore for for trying something this ambitious because i think like you know then that that sort of that gives uh people in the future future filmmakers an example to look to and say like okay well he tried this this and this and it it didn't quite work but he was like aiming toward this which i really liked maybe i'll incorporate that into my film and so i think like you know there you do have to have some misses for people to make hits and he's i think you know based off of you know chamba 212 like i think i think he is a I I think he is an excellent filmmaker, at least based off of that film. I quite honestly have not seen um, much else of his work, which I I hope to rectify in the future. I think I'd like to believe that this is just that this is just a miss amongst other hits. Um, Yeah, yeah. Because he is clearly a man who's very passionate about what he does and loves film. Yeah. What I find slightly interesting, though, is this and... um, the other film, what was it called? Sorry, the other one you've seen. Chambre two one two, like room two one two, is basically is the translation to the, these two films. Interestingly, would probably work fairly well as stage shows, mm-hmm. um, which kind of interests me because I, I would say apart from maybe Julie's death, there was nothing in this film particularly, and then maybe the way that the the sort of color and and that aesthetic has been crafted there's nothing really particular about this that's very filmy very filmic to Mm -hmm. me and i find it interesting that and i don't know about the other one but like there was nothing in the way that like there was like maybe two shots in the whole film that i was like oh that's interesting that you framed it that way Mm -hmm. but then there were lots of missed opportunities where I'm like, oh, you probably could have framed it this way. So like, I'm thinking like the bit where the the three are lined and lined up in the bed, all reading different books at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I understand because like you can only capture this on film, and that makes sense. But then there's a moment where, um, at the the breakfast with the family where um, Ishmael was like, they're all hugging as a family, and he's like separate. And the way that it's framed, it kind of layers him on top of the family because he's in front of them in our viewpoint. And I think it would have been more interesting if you framed it in a way that like you see that separation. And I think there's just stuff like Mm -hmm. that where I'm like, oh, I I just feel like, I don't know. Like, well, I'm just like, this almost felt closer to a stage show. It felt like a filmed play. Even some bits of it really felt like a filmed play. Um, and I just find that interesting and I'm, I'm intrigued 
as to who I I want to go and watch more of uh, Christophe Honoré's work now because I'm like, oh, who is this as a filmmaker? Because mm-hmm. I, I want to know. Yeah, I just want to understand that um, because I think part of what we're restructuring is is the restructuring is is like making it a bit more coherent and a bit more focused, but also like I think there is clearly a need to m- make this more of a film. Why why is this yeah. being made as a film rather than a stage musical? And uh, we didn't talk about it too much, but I, I, I guess that, you know, I'm saying now, like mm-hmm. I think there are sort of visual, uh, like putting in a montage at the beginning, stuff like that, just visual like things to go like, oh, this is why this has to be a film because it the story is best told this way. Um, and yeah, I think that that's a missed opportunity that, that I, uh, yeah, what interests me about this filmmaker because I just feel like this feels like such a stage show and then you're mm-hmm. saying the other one is like all in one room and shooting stuff that's all in one room and making it feel like a film is very challenging. So I'll be interested to see, I will go and seek that out and I'll be interested yeah. to see what that's like. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely recommend it because, um, yeah, like Jean, Jean-Claude 212, like, again, like it it incorporates elements like of the visual aesthetic of a of a stage play but yeah could on, there are scenes that could only be done on film and yeah. that could only be done in that medium and yet it's it's playing around with like the visual elements and um motifs that we associate with the stage so i think yeah i think that yeah. would be an interesting film to watch in comparison to this one yeah for sure yeah and there are there are lots of films that have used that single location, but have made us so aware of the fact that they could only be made as films. I think of like Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, Mm -hmm. like which was actually based on a play. Like it is all set in one room, but the way Hitchcock uses the camera and and only reveals specific information to us through that Mm -hmm. is so clearly like this has to be a film in the way that he's made it. So I'll be interested to see yeah, how that shines through in in Schoenberg two one two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. All right, I think I think we really did it. I think we um, really did that. I, yeah, <laughs> I I was not feeling good about this on the way in, but uh, I feel better. Yeah, about it now, I so felt okay. I felt a little rough about it going into. Well, clearly, I only <laughs> process like half of the visual and audi- <laughs> auditory information of the film, so that clearly didn't help. Um, but uh, we made it through and I feel like we made it through I feel like our rework is is pretty solid Would, yeah or do you want me to ask the big question that we asked if you want episode? yeah let's do change you, things up okay. this week let's let's go let's go crazy this week um okay. all right um let me set the scene for you <laughs> I'll set all the right. scene for you Caleb um <laughs> it's uh well I'm shoot now I'm probably gonna ask it the wrong way than how we decided to ask it no. from now on never but all right um it's it's uh it's 20 years from now the year is the year is god 2040 um (laughs) you're uh you're you're making making a name for yourself like on both sides of the atlantic you got productions happening on the great white way uh, and good old broadway in, in north america you you've got a production happening in the West End, um, and and you've also you've also directed a couple of successful films. And somebody comes Whoa. to you and says, 
Caleb, it's it's time for you to break your language barrier. We want oh, you wow, okay. to make a film in French. And not only that, <laughs> we very specifically want it to be a remake of Christophe Honoré's 2007 <laughs> musical drama, <laughs> Les Chansons d'Amour. <laughs> What do you do? Um, do you do you take the job of remaking uh, it as as director and reworking it, or do you say, "Nah, I've, I've got a lot going on for me." Um, I, 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 I think I would um, I'd turn this down. I really. I think I think I, uh, I made hypothetical you too successful. No, no, no. <laughs> I think you know what. Like it would have to be a situation where um, I'd had you know very mild success and then hadn't been able to make a film in the last ten years. I think even then mm-hmm. I would go. You think? Eh, about it. Probably not. I'll wait for someone else to come around. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of interested in in that central theme. But I mm-hmm. think I would be. I don't think this is the way I would want to approach it. <laughs> yeah, not from the the remake angle. I agree. I'm yeah. in the same boat with you there. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just I found it a very hard watch. It's the first film I've watched in a very very long time where I've gone. Maybe I won't finish this. And the only, <laughs> you know, the, the only reason I finished it was to do this. Yeah, like, you're like, I have to do it. I'm committed to it. <laughs> Which is a shame because I think there are redeeming qualities that we've managed to sort of tease out in our conversation mm-hmm. now. Um, and I in got, fact, I think we've, we've been relatively positive in our conversation as well, which is yeah. weird for us. Um, yeah, because usually we love to rag on everything. Yeah, we watch. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't think I'm I'm that interested in in making this. Sadly, yeah, yeah, me, yeah. me neither. Not as a remake, but I think that there are some really interesting themes there that could be could be. I want out someone to a, do it, just yes. not me. Somebody should. <laughs> uh, <All right. laughs> well, I was, oh, what I was going to say is actually, so on my other podcast. <laughs> Oh, um, we we talk about how we would stage films, and yes. actually, in some ways, if you asked me to stage this, I think I would be interested in that. Mm. Yeah, I th- I think adapting this to stage because I I think there are challenges posed by that would that would be interesting. Yeah. Um. But anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> wow, good job, Caleb. Managed to plug your other podcast before this episode <laughs> wrapped up. Real smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the first time I've done it, but all right. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't plugged it more, to be quite honest. Well, to be fair, it's because I have no idea when these are going out. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I've been so slow with editing them. But that's okay. It's fine. Um, we can build up we can build up hype. Yeah, way. we can build hype. We'll build hype. Um we'll build hype. Hasn't uh, let's say people want to find you online. They want to ask you more questions about who this Christophe Honoré character is. Yeah, who's, um, who's this Honoré guy? <laughs> and who they don't. Think they he don't is? want to use Google. They don't want to just Google what he's right. up to. They want to know from you. Straight <laughs> uh, where, from the tangential horse's you? mouth. Um, yeah. They, if you want to 
talk at me online, which you're more than welcome to do, uh, especially while I'm in quarantine. You can you can find me on Instagram at Harrison Who, um, <laughs> on Twitter at Harrison Gale Who, and I'm also on Letterboxd just at Harrison Gale. Um, cool. <laughs> and and Caleb, if people want to talk at you through the internet, where can they find yeah. you? Uh, well, um, depends what they have to say. <laughs> if, I ain't giving out my handle to just nobody. <laughs> if, um, if you have very little to say to me, then you can find me on Twitter at Caleb Lebster. <laughs> um, but then you can also find me on Instagram and letterboxd at Caleb Lebster as well. Uh, that's C-A-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. I, I just Whoa. did not pronounce half of those letters, so but that's fine. <laughs> so good You'll luck. figure it out. <laughs> um, uh, that's it. Um, well done, us. We, <laughs> we did we, do try this at home. We, <laughs> we really did that. Um, <laughs> I guess it also, fun fact, I guess it has something to do with the fact that coronavirus happened exactly when the film was supposed to be released but chambre 212 uh according to wikipedia i don't know why they felt compelled to write this but apparently grossed zero dollars in the united states so (laughs) 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 oh yeah i did find it interesting that um I was looking at the Wikipedia for, uh, you know, whatever film we did. I can't even remember what it's called anymore. Love songs? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, see what happens? That was me during uh, the movie. Yeah, no, honestly. Uh, that grossed, like, it told me, like, what it grossed in the US and then what it grossed worldwide. And I'm like, but this is a French film. Why would I? But that's uh, that's Hollywood, baby. That's Hollywood. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, what a great catchphrase. That's Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe that's our new catchphrase. <laughs> oh no, it's so bad. We can't. We gotta keep brainstorming. <laughs> yeah. Back to the drawing word. Back to um, we really did do try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll stick with that for now. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. <laughs>